It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. It's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I'm Brother L. D. Azobra, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. We're going to keep it rolling. We got another great here today. One of the legendaries. I mean, the family itself, the family name speaks for itself. They've been around a long time, a bunch of beautiful people, beautiful family who I've been knowing for quite some time, who've always been very, very welcoming and supportive of me. And I'd like to welcome you, Mr. Gaynell <laughs> Gus kitchen. <laughs> you cheated on me, man. <laughs> oh, Lord. No. I blame my daddy for that. <laughs> we ain't got to ask why they call you Gus. <laughs> actually, actually, my daddy called me Gaynell. My mama called me Gaynell from the time I was born. But when we moved to, back here to Baton Rouge from, from Mobile, we've been over there for nine years. The first day I walked into the dressing room at Baton Rouge High, I met Bad Gourier, and uh, I said, hey, I'm Gaynell Kitchen. He said, hey, Gus, how are you? Because <laughs> he knew I was named after Gus Tinsley at LSU. Oh, that, that, oh, that was another Gus? Uh, well, Coach Tinsley, the, the original, the coach at LSU in the 1930s, the All-American end. Oh, give, you, give, give us a little story, a little history. I didn't know that. Well, I, see, I was, I was born in 38, and he was All-American the early, early 30s. Uh, and his his name was Gaynell Tinsley. Tinsley. Okay. Called him. He, I guess they he was they were, somebody's family was like me. My family they they didn't want to call me Gaynell, so they called him Gus. Well, when I went to Baton Rouge High, I had been called Gaynell every day of my life. And uh, when I first walked in the dressing room, Coach Bat Gurry said I was introduced as Gaynell Kitchen. He said, "Well, hello, Gus," <laughs> and I've been Gus ever since. <laughs> so so Gus. So how old were you? How old were you when you started, when they started calling you Gus? Fifteen. Well, it's first freshman. I fifteen, fourteen or fifteen. That Baton Rouge High. And, and that that was more accommodating for you. You was more comfortable with that. Or? No, I didn't. I didn't even expect it. I, I I just I sort of shrunk back from the name Gaynell because it sounded sort of feminine to me. But I I learned later that they called Tinsley Gandel. They didn't call him Gaynell. They called him Gandel. And, uh, but nobody, my family always called me Gaynell, and it kind of made me shrink back a little bit. But the first time I walked into the training room at Baton Rouge High, I was introduced to Bat Gurrier, uh, and I was introduced as Gaynell Kinchin. He said, well, hello, Gus, come on in. <laughs> and I've been Gus ever since. So Gus been your name for, the, for many years now. Then. Well, it's very, all, only my relatives, uh, I have some aunts and uncles that live out in Livingston, and uh, they're uh, they're all Hungarians, and so they they're used to the idea of having strange names because their name was strange out there because they came over here from the old country, and they were all talking Hungarian and nobody understood. Them. So your family are Hungarian? Well, my mother is Hungarian. My mother's full-blooded Hungarian. My daddy's full-blooded country. <laughs> he, he's a hillbilly, stump jumper, or whatever you want to call him. 
but he, he was he was from out at all, Benny. Now, now, I was watching, I don't know if I, I can't remember if I was watching some show on TV or did I read about this. It was several years ago. And they said the Kinchins was like gangsters back then. I, I came out in the Central Paris. If you were if you were Kinchin, you had to be a fighter. You had to be a fighter. Well, I mean, the generation before me, I was a lover. I, I wasn't a fighter. <laughs> but my daddy used to tell me stories about all that stuff out there because that was redneck country. You know, that was back in the old days that weren't so pretty. Well, now, where was that at? That was in Albany. Albany, Louisiana. That's right. Uh, and uh, my mom and daddy went to school out there, and, and uh, both of them went to Southeastern. Where Mama was a, a basketball player, my daddy was a football player, and, and so uh, we had we got our background. Honestly, we, we had red, we had redneck all over us. <laughs> well, you know. I guess when I came to town, the, the, the Kenshin name, yeah, uh, Brian was at the U High at the time, but but y'all have produced, ooh, athletes, uh, the Kenshin family, you, your brother, yeah. O'Gary was his name, yeah. who was a great athlete, and you had two sons, who were Brian and Todd, who were great athletes. When I had a third son, he was, he was uh, my eldest boy. He played ball at Terra. But he didn't achieve the, I, I want to say starlight that the, his brothers did. But, they, but he, they, he was another great athlete, though, huh? Good athlete. Very good athlete. And maybe because he was at Terra, that's probably why. <laughs> I don't know, but it, what's his name? Cal. Cal. Cal See, he, boy. yeah, he was. He's he's a junior. We we named him Calvin Gaynell Jr. And uh, oh, but you put Calvin so, so we put the Calvin first, and we called him Cal from from the beginning. So he wouldn't have to fight his way through the classroom. <laughs> People called him Gaynell. So. Was your daddy named Gaynell? My daddy was named Jacob Calvin. Jacob Calvin, and 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 why he and Mama called me? Well, he he said he named me Gaynell after Gaynell Tinsley, the the coach at LSU. Now I don't know whether the coach ever knew that or not, but he did take me to dinner before. I signed it at a shoe. <laughs> you took it down? Yeah. So you got a free meal out of it? Yeah. And, and he, he, was, he was friendly and everything, but we, I wouldn't say we were really close because I only had dinner with him at one time. Now, now, what, now what, did, what did he coach at LSU? He was the head coach. He was the head football coach at LSU. Oh, okay. And he was, he was an All-American in the early 1900s, like 1917, 18, or 19, or something like that. And then he... he he coached uh, high school ball. Well, he, he coached at LSU for a while, and eventually was was uh, fired, and ended up coaching uh, at uh, Tara High School, and and teaching over there. So that's that's our connection there. Okay. Well, you got a you got a whole a whole history of. Uh, you say that you say your family started out in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, no, no, they they were born. In Albany. 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 That's seven miles this way from Hammond. And uh, my uh, my daddy was an all-state football player at Albany High School. My mama was an all-state basketball player. So you can't at, at all. Let's start with the mother. Your, your mother and father's athletes. <laughs> they, they, they passed something on. Okay. I don't know where I got my brains from. <laughs> 
We don't have to go there. We're going to leave that right where it is. That's right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a small subject we're going to let you leave to itself. I love that. <laughs> but, so your mother was a basketball player. Yeah. And your daddy was a football player. They both was great athletes. Listen, my mama was so good. She was an all-state basketball player, and she had some sisters, and they all played basketball. We had a tournament one day, and uh, and Grandpa said, uh, he told my mama, Anush, which is her Hungarian pronunciation of her name, Annie, said, uh, you you you're not going to go to school today. We have to we have to pick berries to get them lo loaded up for the train tomorrow. And she said, but Papa, I got I've got a tournament, the finals of a tournament. And he says, I'm sorry, the, the battery uh, berries have got to be picked. Well. So when uh, my Mama told the coach of the team, he was also the principal of the school, he said, well, he says, look, he says, I'll get somebody to pick those berries. You just show up here to school tomorrow. We're going to play the tournament. <laughs> so they played the tournament, and she was all, all tournament. <laughs> so she went there, and she won, though. Her team won. Her team won the tournament, at, at, and, uh, and the berries got picked. The principal was satisfied, and Grandpa didn't have to punish Mama for missing very, very picking. <laughs> so everybody benefited. Everybody benefited. That's right. But that's that's the kind of background we came from. It was just country people working hard, and and like cream rising to the top at the time. They all participated in sports. Mama was valedictorian of her class, and Dad ended up being a coach at Live Oak for a while. So. Uh, and then our our, uh, our grandparents. So you knew you knew your grandparents on both sides. Well, I knew them on Mama's side better because the, the, I just guess they came when they were younger, but they came over from the old country in Hungary, and uh, uh, Grandpa uh, owned a feed and seed store. And what was his name? His name was Joseph Berge. What's B that last name? B E R E G I. And uh, <clears throat> so, and then she had some, well, my uncle, my uncle Nick Erdy, Erdy, was one of her brothers-in-law, and he's now, he was the mayor of New, of Livingston for a while. He runs an insurance agency out there, and got another brother that runs an insurance agency, and so uh, they, they started out, uh, Lyman, when, when they went to school, Mama said, that they couldn't speak English, and they weren't allowed to speak Hungarian. And now, tw well, 12 years later, my mama was valedictorian of her class. Couldn't speak English. Couldn't speak English. And uh, so, in fact, she said, now, you, you're talking about the, the days of the Old South. This was before that. And uh, my mama and, and her sisters, she told me they used to have to fight their way to school. And, and um, they weren't allowed to speak English, I mean Hungarian, and uh, they didn't know how to speak English. So all the, uh, the the little country boys from around there and the country girls made fun of them, and my mom and them had to, they had to fight their way to get on to get get to school, and uh, just just to get there to, to listen. Now, 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 you say your, her name was Annie and Andy. Erica, what was Hungarian name? Ber Berigi. Now, now, yeah. Now your grandfather, you say he had a feed store. He had a feed store, 
And he he was a deacon in the church next door to the store. Well, David at church. <laughs> I don't all been a Presbyterian church, I guess. He was he was one of the head knockers in the in the church. Uh, but I mean, that th- 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 that was a tough time in America because most people who lived here, especially in the South, were, were uh, immigrants. You know that 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 area out there. Albany and Hammond was generally known as the Hungarian settlement. That's where a lot of the Hungarians uh, settled out there. See, that, that's history that I have no insight or knowledge of. That's some good information. Well, uh, that, that's, but that's where we that's where we have something in common. The only the only difference is is the the racial thing, and and um, and ours was Mama's was was a language thing. Uh, and race wasn't involved, but it, it really was. I mean, because she's her, her, the one generation from her was all European, and they they couldn't speak English when they came to this country, you know, and they were highly, highly uh, uh, ostracized, and uh, the the same um, uh, the same treatment that that. Uh, was meted to African Americans back in those days. The generation behind that were the people who came over to uh, inhabit Strawberry Country. That's right, Strawberry Country. And uh, and none of them could speak English when they started school. And uh, and yet my mom was valedictorian of a class. Uh, my grandfather was the head deacon in the church. Uh, my uncle eventually became the mayor of Livingston, and uh, so. Uh, now, now, what was your uncle's name again? Who became mayor? Uh, uncle uh, Nick Erdy, E R D A, and his son Nick. I mean, his son um, Rodney um, is an insurance agent, but his, his other boy Dale is uh, a senator from out in that area, in the in the state legislature out here now. Oh, right now. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, this this is the, to me the story. story it, well, the thing about it is, it's it's a very similar story to the rise of the black people. It's just it's a little different in timing, and maybe in in uh, extremity, but it's the same story. Y- y- y'all, had, y'all had a lot to overcome too. Well, I mean, my, I didn't, but my mother my, my mother and them did. I mean, because like I say, uh, when when uh, when she went to school, I mean. Um, she had to really get after it because she didn't know how to speak English, and they would they on a day of basketball games the, the principal said he would he would hire, bring somebody in to play for her, and so instead he, he she said well, look I don't, I need to play in the game she said well I let him pick berries back at the at the farm and you play in the game <laughs> and so that's the way it worked out. Now, now did your grandmother go to college? Your grandmother, and grandfather? No, they didn't. Uh, they they were. They were just hard-working people, and um, they were smart people. But I don't, I don't think they went to college at all. Now that, that's pretty interesting. Now your your your, uh, your, your grandmother, and who your then your mother, and uh, who became who's a very intelligent woman who finished the top of her class. Your your grand your your dad, uh, who was like the, the deacon in the church. He he wasn't he wasn't a deacon of the church. 
but he did end up being a principal of school. The principal of school. Oh, he's your grand, he's the grandfather's deacon of the church. Yeah. And that says a lot about, you know, like your boys, I know Brian and Todd, they, they all are very, you know, Christian men who stand for, you know, for their faith. Yeah, you know, yeah. Matter of fact, didn't you start the FCA? Uh, I didn't start it. I, I, I was, I was at the beginnings of it here in Baton Rouge. Yeah, I remember that. Absolutely. Yeah. When I first got to LSU, you was the one that was pushing the FCA when I got to that. Yeah, well, and uh, I, that's right. And then, but, but I, I got hooked up with it in, when I was at LSU, and they took us to a summer conference in uh, Estes Park, Colorado, and that's when I first got to meet uh, Gary Demers and Don Moomaw, who was an All-American linebacker at UCLA and some of those big shots. And uh, so we were lucky that in, in, in the summertime, Coach Diesel, I mean, look, they got the state plane, <laughs> the governor's plane, and they took us all to, to Estes Park. There was 17 or 18 of us that went to, made on that first trip. And so we got to meet some of those big All-Americans and, and um, it, and we heard about Jesus for the first time, really, on a personal level. 1956 or seven, something like that. You just told me your grandfather was a deacon of the church. Well, he was, but he he was not an evangelical. You know, he he didn't he didn't talk much about uh, his faith. He just he went about his business. And we we had we had prayer before the meals at Grandma's house and stuff like that. But he didn't he didn't sit around talking about Jesus. So I didn't. I didn't do that until I met Jesus in a, at FCA, probably 20 years later. Now, you came from, now your mother and father, how many brothers and sisters you have? I had one brother. And that was Gary? That was Gary. And Gary was the real athlete in the family. He was, he was an All-American basketball player and football player. The funny thing about it, when I called you about the interview and I was talking to your wife, I said, yeah, well, you know, Gary was a really good athlete. He was two years younger than Gus. So I was wondering when she said that, like, well, okay, what about Gus? Oh, he was all right. <laughs> well, look, I when, when when I went through, he was he was an he was a um, wig, wigwam, some kind of a name they had for the All American team, wigwam wise men, All American, and so Gary was a, a prep All American. I think that that uh, I was bigger than he was. I was stronger than he was. I was faster than he was. I was taller than he was. But I never could beat him at anything. <laughs> uh, he, he he was, was he was two better years athlete. Younger. He was two years younger than you. Yeah, two and a half, two two and a half, something like that. But he, he he was he was a heck of an athlete, and he ended up being a, an, an administrator. He was the principal of a, of a high school and and. Uh, you know, later on, and uh, he, anyway, he, he was he was quite a guy. Y'all was really close. We were close, and, and um, later on, and I don't want to get too far ahead here, but he, later on, he, he 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 married a school board member's daughter, had and had two daughters himself, and uh, they eventually moved to to Houston over there, and um, uh, one one day he was playing in the backyard with. His dog, and his dog licked him on an open sore, and he got a staph infection, and died. 
That's what took him out. Yeah. Lick from a dog. Little bitty dog about that long. That's why, that's why I want no dog around. Well, I don't mind. I don't mind the dog, but I, I don't, I don't want people to get the idea that I like them. <laughs> and how long ago was that? Well, it's been 20, 25 years, I guess. He, he, he left too soon. Yeah, he. Every, I mean, that was a, that's a big shock, you know. Particularly when he didn't really, he wasn't, he wasn't ill, wasn't no serious. No, he. Well, he, he, he got. He got sick after they they got this this infection. Right, I was saying because I mean the dog, uh, the staff, whatever I forget what they call it, but whatever he had was very rare, and the, because the dog happened to lick him on an open sore, I mean he had been out mowing the grass and a pine bark or something hit him on the chin, and the dog got a hold of that and he had rabies and Gary died. And he he was look he he was prep all American. He he played a go team at LSU, and uh, and he was he was a head basketball coach and football coach at, at Glen Oaks High School, and uh, uh, he and he and one of the Didiers, Raymond Raymond Didier, uh, uh, Mel Didier, was uh, on the staff with Gary out there, and eventually they were together at Nichols. So Gary Gary was he was the, he was an administrator, he was a teacher, and he was a coach. And he just didn't make it past forty. It's a shame. He was dead yet. Uh, that's kind of tough with him. But we gonna move on. Uh, now to, well, look, I'm just talking. So if I get off track, you're gonna have to edit or do whatever you no, want. No, we gonna be all right. Oh no, man. All right. Because uh, if you don't stop me, I'll keep talking. Well, that's good. <laughs> Pretty good athlete. You made it to LSU from Albany, Louisiana. Well, I was I, I was at Baton Rouge High first. <laughs> I got to Baton Rouge High first. Well, I, now, sorry, you know, I moved to Baton Rouge. Yeah, we moved to Baton. Well, you see, I, I was born in Albany, um, and I went to, through the second grade over there, and uh, and then we moved to um, we moved to Biloxi in Gulfport, and then. We came back to Baton Rouge to Albany for just a little while, and because of the odd way that the berry picking season was laid out, you know they they started school like uh, in in like April, March or April or something like that, and uh, and so you you went to school through the summertime, so that the, when you had time off, it'd be during berry picking time for all the kids, and so anyway. We, we came back here and it started started at uh, Albany uh, Grammar School and uh, went back and forth between here and Gulfport and Mobile. And then when I, was, and I finished the eighth grade, I came back to Baton Rouge High in the ninth grade. And uh, that was in 1951 or so. That's when Gaynell became Gus? Well, that's right. That's right. That's when Bat Gurria got a hold of me. Now, who was that again? Bat Gurria. He was, he was the the head track coach at Baton Rouge High. He had a little bitty skinny old thing, and uh, he he had a, a a broken finger, a little little pinky, 
and, and it, it stuck out at a 90 degree angle like that. <laughs> and uh, he had to, he had this thing, this big old board called the Board of Education. It was about, a, oh, yeah, about three quarters inch thick. Oh yeah, and board, huh? yeah. And, and and one one day, uh, Warren Rabb and John Hutchison and several several of basketball players uh, went hunting, to, uh, hunt, duck hunting down to the mouth of the river, and they tumped over, and they were they were in the water for forty five minutes, and they were being swept out to sea, when the last little tugboat or something came by, and picked them out of the water, and the next day they came, they came to they came to the morning practice. And they were still purple. I mean, they, they just—they were half frozen, and uh, so they—they they, they got all fixed up for the train by the training room and all that sort of thing. But after practice, they had to run—they had to run laps. It'd <laughs> 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 been better if they. That was in this practice. Huh? It'd been better if they learned how to swim. <laughs> Well, I mean, we kind of wandered around a little bit here with this history, but this, this is these are the things I remember. It means something to me because all those guys are my. Uh, let's see, it was there were three or four of them, and most of them, at least three of them, went to my wedding, and one of them was my best man, and so if I speak. Speak about them half teary eyed, it's, it means something to me. Because, I mean, Warren Rabb and, and John Hutchison, <clears throat> I played basketball with them, Baton Rouge football. They were my classmates at Bernard Terrace in the first grade in 1941 42, <laughs> something like that. So we go back a long, long, long way. And then for eight or nine years, we were, we were apart because. We moved over in Alabama and Mississippi, and so when we came back, I was in the, I was a freshman, and they were all my childhood boys. You see, you see down there the picture, the, the different levels of the. Right. That's that's the four, but the, the top one is in the, in the second grade at Bernard Terrace, and the, the middle one is the ninth grade at Baton Rouge High. Y'all was the four amigos. Oh yeah. <laughs> Long time ago, and so that, that's pretty good history. That's pretty good. Well, but that, that's why I have the that's why I have these things because this this is a pictorial history of my life, and it's just bits and pieces of it. But it, that's what it. That's I'm a sentimental pussy. <laughs> <laughs> so you, 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 but you know, you know I, I, I deal a lot with your, with your son's oldest boy, your second oldest Brian, and that's where he's very compassionate. He, he loves, yeah. loves to work with children. You want the best, you want to make a difference. So I can yeah. see where you got that from. But, but your wife, too, y'all carry that, y'all carry that kind of spirit. Well, I, I know that, that we never had to worry about Brian. Uh, the only thing we had to worry about him at, at one time, he was too shy. Yeah, yeah. And, and nowadays, he's, he's pretty much out there. And he wants to get on the cutting edge and make a difference with, with the young people. And that sort of thing. The rest of the pictures over there are my teammates and guys who want to do something, make something of themselves. And Warren Rabb is still selling class rings. Still after selling all these, yeah. And and I, I believe they're going to have to 
cut a hole in the ground to stop him. <laughs> oh yeah, right now he couldn't afford to get married. I mean, to get to get buried. <laughs> Well, that's that's where most of them came from. I mean, um, uh, you know, we we were in the class with Billy Cannon and uh, that another guy named Castellaw, uh, Billy Castellaw, who was a basketball player, and I, he didn't he didn't get to go to LSU to play basketball, but he was a heck of an athlete. And they had another guy that went to Southwest Southeastern, and uh, Dwayne Leopard was a tackle that came from Struma. And then Billy and a couple other guys I can't remember, but uh, that was that was that was a good rich time in in Baton Rouge. The only thing is that before that was before the, the the schools were integrated and things like that. See, so we missed out on that that particular opportunity. Get a chance to really show your talent. Well, it's show, well, it's show our talent, but but to also to have a higher level of competition. You know, and, and to do something that needed to be done long before then that would produce a long-term good for everybody. The city, the, the, city, state, the state, and the nation. And so uh, the, the thing about going to, to LSU uh, together from these different schools is that uh, we, had, we, had a, we had had a chance to mix among ourselves, but integration hadn't come in yet, and so we missed out on that as t as a, a team. And the teams later, maybe five, six, maybe seven years later, had a chance to bring that in and take advantage of it and enjoy it to to grow. We missed we missed that opportunity. You know, so you think about that well, the thing about it is I, I, I think about my life from the time uh, that I was I lived in Spring Hill, Alabama. Now Alabama wasn't an integration uh, mountaintop. don't get me wrong. but the thing that I do remember when I was in the fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, every they had a had a, a lake behind the Spring Hill College, which is a, a Catholic university down there. And uh, on Saturday mornings, we, we would all go down the hill to, to the Spring Hill College, and people would come from everywhere, whites and blacks and everybody. And we would all choose up sides and, and play football on the front yard of Spring Hill College. And, and that was... In the, in the 40s. This this was in the uh, let's see yeah I was in, I was I was in forty between forty five and fifty something like that uh, maybe the late late forties but uh, I mean we on, on Saturday morning we didn't know about color we we were all <laughs> we were all rumbling around in the dirt and playing tackle football. <clears throat> And it happened all the time, and we, we we all got along. 
we had our fights, we had our differences and arguments and stuff like that. But we, we got used to the idea of just playing ball. Looking forward to it. Looking forward. I mean, Saturday morning, that was the time to play football. And at, <laughs> at, at, at a, look, most of us were Protestants. Half of us were black, half of us were white. And the thing about it is, it was a Catholic university. So uh, if, if one of those guys happened around, they made sure we played by the rules and didn't cuss. <laughs> but we got along. We got along, and then and after it was all over, they had, a, they had a lake out in the back of the of the college, and we all take off our clothes and go back in the in the lake back there behind the thing. Go swimming. Go, go swimming behind the behind the Catholic uh, the Catholic uh, University's uh, administrative building, and uh, the, the 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 priest and all the kids and everything. We we'd go all go out there at different times, and sometimes we'd be out there together. But I mean, we we had our we had our the beginning of our integration as people. Then, because see, all God did later is tack our later experiences on top of that. And see, we knew that those guys couldn't hurt us, or they wouldn't hurt us. We just play. We were just kids playing. That's all there was to it. You, want, you just want the best guy on your team. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, um, those that's just good time for me because, uh, you know, Alabama is sort of like a, is a, sort of like the, at one time the capital of the South. And, and when people thought about segregation or something like that, they would think about Alabama first in that particular regard. Now, later on, that changed. Because Alabama got to the forefront of some things over there, integration-wise. And uh, so w what we did is we got in uh, under the, the beginnings of all the turmoil about it as kids. And later on, I was moved away from there. So when, when Alabama began to, to integrate, I had an understanding of what the culture had been and where they had to go from there. And I'm not saying that I understood everything perfectly, but I had some hints about the way life was and where it had to go and where it was going. And you came from a family, because y'all was considered immigrants, foreigners too, to the land, where racist, racism in your household was not something that was, we call that, was articulated or spoke about from your perspective about another group of people, uh, you know, like, you know, like most, it was like sometimes, you know, like you look quite at the movies where, you know, some households are talking about where these so-called black people, they dumb, they stupid. So you didn't grow up with that kind of environment. Well, the thing about it is, I heard that kind of talk from time to time, but it wasn't because of my family. And, and uh, because I mean, look, my, my, my grandpa, had a, uh, uh, a general merchandise store in Albany. Now, Albany's in the middle of the Southland, if you, in the, in the Southern attitude, if you want to put it that way, was right in the middle. But the other thing that, that they had, which a lot of people may not even think about as being a forerunner to the integration problem, was that none of my grandfather's 
family could speak English. Now, none of them could. And they started school without knowing how to speak English. And, and they were called Hungarian white trash. And they had to fight their way to school in the morning because they couldn't speak English. That's just it. Now, I, so I, 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 was, I didn't have to undergo the uh, uh, early Southern segregation uh, general attitude about the white-black thing. But my mother told me about how they were uh, treated, how they were treated, and they were treated like poor white trash is what it was. And, and my mama says that when they went to school in the morning, they had to fight their way to school, and the, and the white boys and the white girls would pull their hair out on the way to school. And my mama and them couldn't even speak English. And they looked just like the same people that was doing that. That's school. exactly right. <clears throat> the thing that, they, that the, 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 whitey, the whiteys didn't like, or the Americans didn't like, is that these people were strange. They couldn't talk English. Well, but but uh, they didn't they didn't think about the fact that in in the current way of looking at things, they didn't think that those were people just like they were who went to bed to cry every night because they couldn't get along with their friends or their or their enemies, and uh, and they'd wake up the next day having to go to the same thing that treated them bad. So while they they didn't have the same kinds of problems that the that the the Negroes and the, and the black race had. It was similar. They were they were used to being ostracized and and uh, people treating them bad. And I, I Mama told me she said she says Gainel they used to pull my hair. We used to have to fight our way to school with white people because we had white had black friends. We had people who worked for us on the on the on the farm, and so. I'm not saying that we understood perfectly, but when when my mom and daddy came out of Albany, they had been through the mill of the end of segregation, so to speak, or at least part of the end of the segregation in their in their uh, their community. It seemed like to me she she made sure you understood what hatred was about. Yeah, that, that's hatred. Yeah. These people hated me. I, I, I looked just like them, but because I didn't speak like them, yeah, they treat, mistreated me. Well, so, so she, yeah, she, she encouraged y'all to not treat anybody that way. That's right. I mean, because I mean, uh, well, of course, the, the one thing that my mother had with with her sisters is that that uh, four of her, of her sisters, including her, right, I mean, counting her. Uh, were the starting five on the basketball team. <laughs> well, they, they had a value there, didn't they? Yeah, so, I mean, <clears throat> but they, they were kind of strange because they were athletes, <clears throat> but they were, also, they were also involved in the white-black thing because in those days there was nothing but turmoil as far as race was concerned. And the thing that, <clears throat> the thing that made a partial difference was that the blacks and the whites worked together in the farms that were owned by the white people for the most part. But they had to work together to pick berries and 
you know, uh, open the rows to, to get the berry up into the sun and stuff like that. And so, and I'm not saying that there was a great mix at that time, but they were all working together on the farm to make the farm go. And they were working for, this, for these, these uh, what you call the, the, the other Europeans. Or, or your, or well, no, my, no, my, my grandpa, owned this farm? my grandpa owned his farm. Yeah, and, and he had, he had uh, uh, let's see, four, four daughters and three sons. They had seven kids, I think. So that, 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 that Tamanic Parish? That's, that's Tangipahoa. Tangipahoa Parish. Tangipahoa Parish. Tangipahoa and part of Livingston. Which is, state, which is the state capital for strawberries. Yeah. yeah because that's what, that's what well, they call it the strawberry capital of the world. Yeah. So that's the, 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 they would, when you say berries, you talk about strawberries. Yeah, I mean the the uh, uh, one of the things I, I read is a as uh, uh, a book. It's uh, it's called uh, Art Ardvark or Ardv. It's it's a Hungarian name for a mixture of whatever. There was a book that somebody wrote made a, a book with pictures and all that stuff about the the early days because out there in, in when. Uh, right before Mom and them got to school, there was a um, um, uh, all the property was uh, uh, wooded, and uh, the paper companies owned it. <laughs> so they had to, they had to, they had to uh, clear all that, all that land to grow strawberries. <laughs> Emphasizing too is that your family, being from another part of the country, the world, they had their own struggle when they got to this country. They did. Now it wasn't the same, but it was similar. It was, they had some of the similar experiences. Yeah, they were ostr ostracized because of language, primarily, and culture, yeah. Lamary and, and culture. But 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 at least the good thing about it, they was able to overcome that. It took a whole lot more from my ancestors to overcome their. Situation. That's right. That's right. Uh -huh. But and yet, some of some of the closest friendships that my mother and her sisters had were with the people who worked for Grandpa. They they knew that. I mean, like Jimmy and Martha Beecham, for instance. Uh, there, there was a, a black couple that uh, lived on the north side of Albany, and they they worked in and around. My daddy's people, who were up from Natal Benny, up in that area, and so we we had some, and, and then and then besides that, one of my uncles who lived up there was the postmaster, and so in those days, they delivered post the, the postage to everybody, <laughs> so so he he was he was a deacon of the Baptist church, you know, and the and the deacons may have been. In the, I'm not saying this is true, but it could have been they were ostracizing of the other races and things like that. But the thing about it is that my my uncle, he was the postmaster of the post office, and he had a uh, a little uh, uh, store to go go along with it. So he had to, he had to get along. He had to get along. Right? He, yeah. run, he run the business that he, yeah. he got these jobs going. Well, they call it they call that area out there a melting pot, and and it's probably if if you if you if you want to get down to the lick log, it's the people who actually mixed 
to start out are the ones who learned the fastest about what they had to do to get along. Now, it may not have been that way across the board, but um, look, Lyman, you're my friend. You've been my friend for a long time. Now, I'm not saying we've been the closest of friends, but we've been friends. We've at least been friendly. And we've worked together on a few things. I wouldn't say that we've been extensively, but we, we've been friends. We play ball at the same place. And, uh, and not a lot of people have had a chance to do that or have taken the time to do it. And then besides, besides that, when I was a kid, I was, you know, I was, I was like in diapers. My mom and daddy had this uh, black couple, Jimmy and Martha Beecham. They were older people. And, uh, but they used to work for mama. Martha used to work, uh, do housework for mama. And Joe would work uh, around the area with uh, some family members and stuff like that. Mowing grass, cutting trees, doing whatever, just. But when mom and daddy would leave town to go to a football game in New Orleans, uh, my babysitters were Martha and Joe Beecham. This black couple, and so, and and uh, so we got used to somewhat. It just it, when integration came around, it wasn't that big a deal for me, in a sense. Now I, I didn't go smooth right into it, but on the other hand, it was different because I was used to being around Jimmy and Martha, and they loved me and my brother. And they took care of us. Mom and Daddy would leave us, go to New Orleans for the football game. Well, he'd leave us right there with Martha and Joe Beecham, and and uh, they they she'd make ice cream for us and stuff like that, and and they'd take care of us. So I had some; those are good vibes that added into my history that I think were important. That makes this question. Now, when it came time for integration, how did you fare out with your own children? How did that affect you? Like, I don't. How, did you? Well, there was a tough decision. I don't want my children going to school with them. Or how, how did that affect you? It, it, never, it never really occurred to me because it just was. That's the way it happened. They just they went to school with them. There wasn't anything I could say about it. Now, I, I, I admit at first I was a little uncomfortable because we're used to this, this idea of dividing up, you know, blacks and whites and stuff like that. And I can't say that it happened just smoothly without any problems at all but for the most part it was something that just was happening and we had to get in line with it and as we got in line with it the familiarity led us to be break down some of the barriers I mean I, 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 I never I never went to school with a black person until I got to LSU Never. So that, that was, who, who, was, who was at LSU then? Right there. There, right there at LSU back then? Um, Coach Tinsley was there. Uh, again, that guy I was named after. He was at LSU, but I, I didn't, I wasn't playing ball when I first got there. Uh -huh. Diesel was there when, uh, but uh, Tinsley was there until I got there, and he was one that recruited me. But uh, when I when I started playing ball, there there were no blacks out there at all. I, there was a guy named 
Dora Hinton, Cora Dora Hinton, or something like that. He's one of the uh, he's one of the first blacks that was really a, a standout at LSU. Oh, that was about Laura Hinton. Laura Hinton. Laura Hinton and Mike uh, Williams. They were the first yeah. two. They was in 1970, I believe, or 71. Yeah. Well, by that time, I was out. Well, you was gone by that time. I was gone, and and. Uh, but it took and you. You arrived at LSU in 1950. 54. No, see, I graduated in 54. So I was a freshman from 54, and then I went 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, and I graduated, uh, I graduated in 60. So you played with the, the, the great, under the great Paul Deason in the national championship game. Well, it wasn't a national championship game. It was a national championship season. The, the, the national championship season. Yeah. So now, were, I, you, were you a starter at that time? Uh, nope. I was not. I was a I was a third teamer, so you, so a Chinese bandit. So you, so you was part of the, 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 the then Chinese bandit. That's right. So now I interviewed Coach Lynn LeBlanc. He told me the Chinese bandit was like the was like was like the third team. That's exactly right. And and it made the Chinese bandit over over the years. The Chinese bandit became like they was the number one team. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so 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 how the third team end up being bragged about and talked about? Well, the thing about it is that, that uh, you know, when, when, when you actually get into the game, you think about game plan, you think about how you're going to put your best against their deal. And, and um, so what they, what they did a lot of times, Coach Deesa will let us start the game on defense, you know, and, and the other people would think, well, they, man, we got this made or something like that. And then we kicked their ass and then <laughs> and they found out different. But the thing about it is, Diesel was smart. He, he knew that we were the third best unit. And so w when he put us in the game, he made sure that we came out of there so we wouldn't be embarrassed and he wouldn't either be. He, he let us play and get our licks. And if, if, if we were doing well, he might leave us in there. But if they started pushing a little bit, then he'd say, well, we got to get him out of there and put the white team in. Well, the white team played both ways. And so if the white team did okay, that's fine. If they, if they started getting tired, well, it might be time for the goal team to go in there on, on offense, and he let them play. And everybody got rested up, and whoever was rested enough, he'd, he'd send them back in, and we'd get to play for two or three plays, maybe maybe a, a series. And, uh, so the, 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 the third team would start the game. Well, me. sometimes sometimes every we would. Every, every, every now and then. I mean, uh, we, we played Kentucky one year, and uh, – we did start the game. I think we kicked off the, in, in the, the opening kickoff, and it kind of threw Kentucky out of off uh, out of kilter a little bit. I think we beat them 20, 28 to nothing that night. I'm not sure, <laughs> but we beat them up there in Kentucky. Kentucky. In Kentucky, that's right. But it was it was just uh, uh, Lyman. It was uh, I, I guess you'd call it a mixed blessing. Because, you know, when you, when you go off to college, you think, well, it, it, deep down, you think you're pretty much of a hot shot because you're at LSU. You got your scholarship. And the fact that you were third team didn't measure too much because you were there. You had a scholarship. You had a uniform. And that's sort of, I didn't have any front teeth when I got there, so I didn't lose anything else. But, but on the other hand, uh, it was an honor to play. It wasn't an honor to practice all the time. <laughs> what, was it, what was it like playing for 
Paul D. Coach Paul the great. Well, he was. Uh, he is a. Um, he was a very tall, handsome, uh, white man, and he was from reputation and hearsay. He might have been a ladies' man. And, 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 well, they, they could have, and they would have been right for a time. But after one, Jesus, Jesus got a hold of me and he castrated me a little bit. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't remind her. <laughs> don't remind her. But uh, at any rate, he, he was, um, he, um, what did they call him? Uh, tall Paul. The uh, slick, slick tongue devil, or something like that. <laughs> he was very, he was very glib with the words, and from, the rumor was that he was a ladies' man. But all we, all we ever knew him as was a, a coach who was very organized. He was always promoting. He was always positive. He's always building on something good, towards something better, and. Uh, when when he left there, he he left because he had had a lifetime dream to go coach at West Point, and um, he went to, went to South Carolina and West Point when he left over here. Uh, but he put LSU on the map. You you can take whatever you want to of his personal life, his personality, or anything else. But he was he was a nice man. He was a good front man. He always promoted LSU in a positive, forward-looking way. We were proud that he was our coach. But I tell you, when you when you showed up on the field, you may not have had everything presented to you perfectly, but everything you needed for that game, you had presented to you and worked into you so that you knew what you were supposed to do. Now doing it was something else. You had to perform when you got out there, but you never never went to a game where you were not prepared to be there. No matter who we played. We did play Ole Miss one time and got our butts kicked pretty bad in the Super Bowl. But uh, we beat them seven seven to three or something like that in the regular season, and they all caught us a fluke when Billy Cannon made his run, uh, and and. We beat them seven to three or something like that, and uh, they thought Ole Miss thought it was a fluke, and that they we shouldn't be going to the Sugar Bowl, and we did, and we beat them again. <laughs> yeah, beat them twice in one year. Yeah, that, that's the way I remember it. That's the way you remember it. Nobody's right. Well, see, we're among friends, so I can tell it tell it like I remember it, huh? <laughs> Fortunate enough to be a part of the great Paul Deesa uh, when he came back my junior year, sophomore year, as the AD at LSU. Yeah. And it, that's the time they said they brought him back to fire coach back. <laughs> you know? Well, that may have been true. I don't know, but but he he certainly did it. He had to do it. And um, so, you, so you remember that that's, that story, then? Huh? Well, yeah, I, I remember that, and and. Uh, but I also remember Lyman that, that uh, I, I wasn't, see, Diesel was a, he was a smooth-tongued 
playboy looking sort of a guy and uh, and he was very confident very polished and coach Mack was he, he wasn't what I would call a very extremely handsome guy he's one of the nicest guys you ever meet but on the other hand uh, he wasn't he wasn't a Paul Dietzel in terms of personality popularity and that sort of thing and I think that probably some of the uh, frou-frou that people liked about Dietzel they didn't find in Charlie Mack. Charlie Mack technically was as good a coach as anybody and part of a lot of the success we had at LSU was because of defensive play and that all most of that came from Charlie Mack. So you played with Charlie Mack? Yeah, he, I, he, was, he was in charge of the Chinese bandits and uh, and running and running the defensive side of things. The white team played both ways. Uh, the go team played just on offense, and the bandits played just on defense. Now, every once in a while, the go team would have to play a little defense, a couple of plays or something like that, and then the or the bandits would have to play a little offense. So you played. Coach McClendon coached you too. Yeah. We both played for Charlie McClendon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and look, and Charlie, and Charlie, when, when we, after we got that, got out of school, after my business career was about over, we moved over here, and Charlie Mack lived three houses down over here. <laughs> so you moved across the street to your coach. Yeah, well, it's, 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 well, it's actually on the, on the street running this way, but but uh, we, we were in a Bible study with his daughter and her husband. And uh, Dee, yeah, she was Dee, Dee McClendon, and one of the sweetest, nicest girls you'd ever meet. Yeah, she held the Charlie McClendon Foundation. I, I, I'm not sure, but I think I think you may be right. And uh, one of the nicest, finest Christian ladies you'll ever find. She was she's a wonderful person. And uh, anyway. That all came by later, and, and I had a chance to go see Coach Mack on his deathbed. I, I didn't, I wasn't there when he died, but they did ask us to come by and, and talk to him a little bit, at least tell him goodbye or something, and we all did that. Yeah, I, and I'm I, glad I we did. I say one thing about him. I played with him for, for three years, uh, from freshman through his junior year, and. But one thing I can say about him, when Charlie Mack came, he was living in Florida at the time, and he came to town at a restaurant on Lee Drive in Highland Road. And he would stop by in Highland. Him and uh, Coach, uh, his name was Ma, uh, McCarthy, not McCarthy. Uh, uh, McCarthy, yeah, Dave McCarthy? Not Dave McCarthy. He, he, he used to hang with all the time. Coach, uh, um, oh, Lord, I forget. I can't remember, I can't remember his name. I apologize. Uh, no, not, that's all I don't, that was, I just, I'm just trying to. <laughs> It's Coach, Ter Coach Terry. No, it's Road Dog Coach. Uh, uh, I can't remember, but all right. But he come by the restaurant and holler at me. You know, he never, he, maybe once or twice he took food with him. He just kind of, you know, with a tear told me to stop by and holler at him. So that meant a lot. Yeah. That we came through town and Charlie McClendon stopped by and to check on me. So, you know, those little things always you know, go a long way. Now, let's finish with you now. Now, did you, did 
when you was at Baton Rouge High, so your senior year, did y'all win uh, the state that year? We went, we went to state in 55, my, which was the, the fall of my last year. Uh, and uh, hey, wait a minute, no, we we went to we went to uh, state the year before '54, and we got our butt kicked by Saint by Lake Charles, uh, in Lake Charles, in the, in the finals of the state. And the next year, my senior year, we were four, five, and one or something like that. Uh, and uh, Struma killed us in the last game of the year. Struma, Billy Ken. Yeah, and uh, and I was I. My, my leg was hurt. Rabbit had his leg operated on, and uh, they, they moved me from my defensive position to a, a, an inside tackle position on defense. And I was I was, I was one legged. My brother was a freshman, and they put him playing my my end, my defensive right end. And uh, we got killed. They they, they were thirty eight ahead, thirty eight to nothing at halftime. We weren't. We were never Back in the in ball. High school. Back in high school. But that, but that was Billy Cannon in the backfield. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that made a difference. Plus, plus, uh, they they had they they ran the, the uh, uh, split T or something like that, and they had they had a lot of speed and a lot of size. Plus, they had. Uh, I mean, we ran the single wing, and I was I was hurt. Rab was our tailback. He was hurt. Norwood, he was the other end. He was bunged up. And uh, the, the score was, I think, 30, 38 nothing at halftime. They killed us. Mm. You know, it wasn't a, wasn't a good way to start out. I mean, to end up. Your senior year. Yeah. But, yeah. but LSU still came knocking. But you had Rab and. LSU, I mean, Rab and Norwood and, and, and me. We were the first three, first three that uh, uh, the diesel signed. So, so y'all was there diesel first year, or he was already uh, coaching at the, yeah. we, we, No, we, uh, he was coaching. We were we were recruited at the end of of, uh, of our junior year. He he came there at the end of our junior year, and in uh, in the, the springtime. And in the falls when we had our recruiting time and all that, and I went there as, as a freshman. I had a knee operation in the summertime, and then during during this freshman season, which was only three games at that time, uh, I had another one, another operation then. So I started out in the hole. So and you, you went to college already having knee knee operation. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't that good to start with. <laughs> but look, the thing the thing was so so disappointing to me was that when I was a junior, I was an honorable mention All American. I caught thirty three balls and 10, 10 touchdowns or something like that. So you, would you play tight end too? I played. I played. Uh, I played right. Uh, Right in on a single single wing, and uh, so we we, just, we threw the ball quite a bit, and like I say I caught I caught thirty balls and uh, scored 
seven or eight touchdowns or something like that. So that, that's where Brian and Todd get that from. Oh, they got the, they got that from their mama. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever. I don't know. But all I can say is, Lyman, that was a great time, and and uh, as you know, playing ball at LSU was really a, a great thrill, great honor. You know. It's a once in a lifetime experience. It is. Just to, it is. You have the opportunity to come out of that shoe. You know, and like, I mean, as a freshman, I first had to run out of there, you know, just the cheer, the excitement, the nervousness, like, you tripping over your own feet, you know, because you're just running out of that shoe and hearing all the thousands of people, you know, I mean, as a freshman, nobody knew who you are, but you just... It didn't make it, it didn't make it, it was, you as great as anybody there as far as they knew. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, see, I don't know how how Mac talked about it, but but Dito used to say, "All right, he says, uh, fellas, let's get up here, and get lined up." And he says that when we come out of that shoot, we want to explode out of there, and we want the opponents to be peeing down their legs, because <laughs> he knew the crowd would be crazy. Right, that, that, that gonna shake the opponents up. That's right. <laughs> but, but, but when you played. Y'all had one side of the stadium, but did y'all have both sides? We had both sides. We had, it was it was closed in. It was closed well, in. I think it was it was a uh, the north end. I think was closed. I'm I'm not really sure. It, it was closed because we used to have to look up there and see if our parents were in our seats that they, <laughs> that they gave us. That makes this question here now. LSU will be playing Southern University for the first time. I heard it's not the first time. I heard they did. Scrimmage, LSU and Southern scrimmage, back in the, in the early days, uh, a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, but they shut that down. Did you? Y'all never scrimmage Southern when you played? No, we didn't. Now I'm asking this question here. Now, back in your days, when Southern had some of the top players in the country, you think LSU would could beat Southern back then? Uh, it's been a pretty good. Game. Well, see, I, I don't really know, uh, Lyman, um, because. Uh, I just don't know. I, w I wasn't used to watching black men black men play. You never really had that. I never, I never, I never had that experience. My my um, my sons uh, had a variety of experiences playing against blacks when they were in high school, and uh, so, but I, but I knew there was talent on the field. I, I I knew that, and but when I when Southern Southern came to LSU and played them one year and and. Uh, I knew they had some athletes out there. I always knew about Southern's athletes. They were big man and ugly, <laughs> big, 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 big black and ugly. That's what they used. To, that's what they used to say to get us ready. And so he said, "Get ready to tie one on because they're coming after you." You know. <laughs> yeah. No, but I. One of one of the things that helped me. Was my my work with FCA, and uh, I I had a chance to. Um, get on a first name friendly basis with Gary Smith, who was the coach out there at one time. And I didn't, I didn't know all the rest of the coaches because I was, most of FCA was, was football players because Gary Smith was the guy who was leading it and he was the football coach. But I just didn't, um, I, I, I just hadn't made the, the, the cut, so, so to speak, in my own mind. And, uh, 
in fact, when I when I first started with FCA, I, I didn't I didn't uh, call on Southern University, but after a while, Gary Smith, the one, the line coach, and I think he eventually became the head coach for for a time. Uh, but he and I were we spent most of our time together talking about FCA and what needed to be done and stuff like that. Getting everybody involved. Well, the thing about it is that that. Uh, as one thing about about Southern, when uh, you went out there for an FCA uh, event, they, they showed up. They, they, they just the the uh, it seems like the uh, religious background of the black athlete at that time was at a higher pitch on the average than a lot of the a lot of the white guys. I don't know why that was. Maybe just the way it seemed. I don't know, but I, I do know that that Gary Smith, who was the the line kid, the coach out there, was a, a dedicated Christian, and he was more involved personally than any coach that I had known about at Southern. Prior to that, I did I didn't know. Uh, who was the head coach there? Uh, the, Mumphrey. Mumphrey was there at, at some time, but he was. It seemed like he was early in the thing. But there was a coach after him. I got to know a little bit. Oh, you talking about uh, that? Could have been. I I I I'm 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 losing my mind here. No, no. I mean that just that's kind of. Can't think of the different names. All of, all the names I know ain't none of them coming to mind right now. Well, that, that happens more often than not with me, and I'm. I you do, I, you're doing pretty good. You got, <laughs> your memory is really pretty, pretty much better than what I thought you what you were telling me at first. You're doing great. But, but your, your, so you played, you played both sides of the ball there, LSU. No, I only got to play a few plays. I I got to play. Um, in, our, in my last game, they let the Bandits play on offense for maybe two or three plays. And one of the last things that ever happened to me at LSU in LSU football is they threw me a pass. They called a pass to me, and I dropped the damn thing. <laughs> I mean, Durell Mathern... He was a coon-ass quarterback from down there at Lutcher. And uh, he was cocky and, and all that stuff. And, and so I, I lined up on, on the left end at, on offense whenever I played there. And so they named this little drag right out to the thing. And, and, he, and he threw the ball, hit me right on the hip, and it just fell to the ground. <laughs> I never got my hands on it. And uh, my one shot. <laughs> One time to be a hero. That's right. That's right. I don't right. care what that ball hit. You should have got that ball. That was, that was one of the biggest disappointments I had in my life was, was that because uh, when I was in, like, in high school, like I said, I was an honorable mention All-America one year, and I would have been, been invited at the end of that year to the All-America prep high school game in Memphis because I was an All-American on that team. But, they didn't ask you to go if you weren't a senior. <laughs> and my brother had a chance to go a couple of years later, but I didn't. 
And uh, so I had my one shot at glory and I missed it. <laughs> I blew it. But also you played with Gary in high school. Y'all played one year together. And y'all played in college together. Well, we we played, uh, we were, well, he, he was on the go team and, and he played, we played together one of those two years for sure. And uh, then my eligibility was over, and then he he moved up uh, to the. He, he, you know, he played on a go team the, the whole time he was there. He ne he never got to play with the white team. And uh, and I didn't either. I was disappointed about that, but that's just the way it was. But did you had a shot at to play opportunity to play pro football? <laughs> Just thought I asked. Yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you. This, 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 look, you, you know me because of all my uh, off the off the road stuff that, and more about my boo boos than I did than about anything excellent I did. But uh, I had a this before I got married. Uh, I, I met a a young girl named Susan McKeever. And her father was Ed McKeever, who was the head coach of the uh, the Boston Patriots or the Buffalo Bills, one of the two, uh, in, the, in the National Football League when it, it first got started. And uh, so at the end of my, my senior year, uh, nobody, nobody came to ask me to play in a bowl game or think about signing a contract with a, a, a national football team. So, but but I had an ace in the hole. I had Ed McKeever, I, I had gotten to know him through his daughter, Susan. She was a nice looking young thing and, and uh, she and I dated for a while uh, during my uh, senior year. And so I used to go over to their house and we'd watch the ball game sometime in the off season or whatever. And uh, so he, he uh, <laughs> I, when, the, when the, I was all finished and the time was uh, people were getting recruited to go to the pros and all that stuff, uh, I, I went and asked him, I said, well, coach, I said, uh, I, I don't, uh, I don't have anybody looking for me to go play. And he says, uh, he says, yo, you want to, you want to try it? He says, we'll let you come work out with us, and give it a shot. <laughs> and I said, well, I said I appreciate that. Uh, but a couple of days later, I went in to see Mr. Corbett, the athletic director at LSU, and, and uh, I told him, I said, Coach, I said, I, I'm really. Uh, disappointed as I'm getting ready to get out of here and I said and there's nobody asked me to come uh, come play this bowl games or this all-star games and he said nobody asked you to play and I said I said no sir they didn't he said well he said give me a few days let me see what I can do <laughs> and so I said okay so a few days later he called me in his office he said look he said uh I've got this opportunity, and I got all excited. And uh, he said, the uh, Parade Magazine supplement in the newspaper 
takes 80 or 90 newsboys, news deliverers, deliver, once they deliver the paper, they take them on a uh, two or three week trip somewhere in the world on Pan American Airlines. And they take six counselors. And I got it worked out where you can be one of the counselors. <laughs> and so I went. And uh, I went with uh, Billy Majors, who was an assistant coach, an ex-All-American at, at the University of Tennessee. Dave Vandermeulen, who was from University of Texas or something like that. Another guy was, uh, ath he ended up being the athletic director at uh, Michigan State. <laughs> and we, the six of us went out, went on this trip. Uh, we got on this TWA big thing, about 90, 90 kids and, and those six counselors, and we went to, went to England, to the British Isles, for about two weeks. <laughs> and so that was my replacement for, for playing in a bowl game. <laughs> well, you didn't complain about that either. I didn't complain about that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I read a book the other day about Ireland, and I thought about an Irish last that uh, I, I, I met at a dance when we took this trip over there. They asked all these newsboys to come to a dance downtown, and, and they bought, brought all the high school girls from the area in to meet them and dance with them. And so, when I was there, I, I met I met this little Irish lass <laughs> who was not one of the girls for the boys. And uh, so, I, I drove throughout the whole countryside uh, trying to go out to find her about midnight one night. So. We could, we, so we could go out, and she, because she invited me to come, but when I got out there, it, it was like 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm talking about way out in the countryside of, of, of uh, Ireland, and uh, when I got there, she, <laughs> she came out uh, of her house at around, it was around midnight at night. I, guess I drove a hundred and some odd miles out there, and uh, she, uh, this her, her caretaker, the, the guy who was responsible for her, uh, came out with her. And, <laughs> and I said, well, are you gonna be able to go with me? She says, well, he, he's gonna let me sit here for a few minutes and then I have to go in. <laughs> so I drove, I, I, I drove two and a half, three hours to get out there. <laughs> and I had to turn around and drive back home by my, back to the town by myself. You get back at four or five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, so whatever it was, I mean, it was, it was a, it wasn't an athletic trip, but um, there was, it was six counselors and me that were on the trip with these two hundred. Newsboys. <laughs> so had, so the, the, the newsboys was, was, was guys that was. In, they 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 were guys who who were in the areas around the country. They sold subscriptions to their newspapers. What? No, they were that kind of newsboys. That, that was that's right. And 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 so, the um, Parade Magazine sponsored the trip, and they they took the top sixty or so guys from around the country who sold more subscriptions. To their newspapers than anybody else, and so that's. <laughs> so so did, they, uh, did they write about you? No, no, they didn't. I got a, I got a, a blow by blow description of the trip over there somewhere in that thing.
But anyway, that was it. But you know, but but your mom, uh, Annie, did you call her Annie? Annie, yeah. Thought a lot of her, her boys because she did. She put together one of the biggest scrapbooks I ever seen. And right next to you is, the, is one of the scrapbooks. One of how many? How many she made like that for you? Well, she did. She did. Uh, I think two for me, and at least two for my brother. But I mean, I'm telling you that. You put them together, they probably weigh 500 pounds or so. I mean, bigger. That, that's a huge book. Well, I tell you, Lyman, it, it's a keepsake mostly. But whenever I want to look and see something tangible of my mama's love, I look at that book. Because every game we played, all the lead-up articles to the, the practices we had, and all that stuff, information about the opponents, the all-star teams, statistics, everything. She got it all taped in that book. And um, in, in the book right next to you. Uh, see, open, open that book. Now this, this, this may include high school here. I'm not sure. I mean, that is a huge, that's like the big old ledgers they used to use in the yeah. house that they used to write on. Well, this is. No, don't drop it now. No, I'm not going to drop it. You're going to be mad at me. You got that big old book. Let me put it down here. You can turn it around if you want to. But uh, see, this this is one of the headlines I made here. I'm somewhere in this picture. <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably back over here somewhere. I don't know. But this was this was the Chinese. This is the Chinese bandits. That was our defensive. That's what they call our defensive unit. And, and, uh, and that's with you and the great Paul Deezer. That's right. And all this. Uh, that's right. You number eighty one. You sitting right behind him. Yeah. You number eighty one, right? I, I'm eighty one. Yeah, you right behind I, him. I so couldn't. I couldn't find him. As you right here. Oh well, I don't know. Yeah, that's I. I, I, I you can't look for teeth because I didn't have any. That's a big old. This a big old book. Well, but I mean, it's it's. Um, she made one of these for me and one one for my brother, and uh, mine may be in two volumes. I'm not really sure. But yeah, uh, it should be three volumes. He one played. Well, he played, but I played. I played in as many games as he did, but I just didn't get to get to. I mean, she put this together for that, that. That is true. That is love of us. Well, this go. I think uh, this one doesn't go all the way back to high school. But we we have one that she put together uh, that included our high school. See, as Warren, Ray, as, this was my. She was the female lead in the senior play. She was my little sister in the senior play, Lynn Rab, and that's her firstborn baby. Right there. So, so you and Warren, y'all were so close, you was close to the family. Well, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was amazing. It was, I mean, this is, she, she put all this together for her baby. Yeah, and, and, just, and just at least, at least one of these for my brother. And, um, but it's all, it's, it's all in here and the good and the bad. Now, now, mm. Did you do that for your two boys? No. Three boys? <laughs> I, I, Tony might have done something, but I don't think it was quite. That elaborate, huh? No, I don't well, know. That'd that take a lot to put that together. No, I'm out. You, you knew she was putting that together? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, as it, 
she she put it on put it she put it together as we as we went along and um well you know Lyman uh, I have to tell you I, I hadn't thought about how to say this but you know you're one of the bridge guys for me you're one of the bridge guys who who helped me understand about my attitudes about people but you're not a racial man you're a Christian. You're my brother. However, rich or poor, that works out. That's a fact. And I know we're not growing away from each other. We're growing toward each other. And one day we're going to live together in a, in a perfect house, a perfect place. And I don't know what, they might make us orange by that time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't, but I know it'll be a time when it doesn't make any difference. And so the thing that you've, you've done for me is you've helped me start now in understanding what it is to know another man and what he looks like doesn't really make much difference. So what we, what we all have learned in learning that the physical being just just what it is, but it's what's the inside. Yeah. And that's where that's where the, the God lives. That's right. Within a within a being. And uh, you do really bless my heart and my soul to even put me in that category. Uh, no, but I, I've always <laughs> have had a lot of you respect for you, people like Mr. Jimmy Fields and others <laughs> who've always been open. Open your arms, open uh, whatever it was to, to invite others in and that's what I've always loved about you your son Brian uh, who I've been knowing for quite some time and Todd the same way he's open and uh, I don't know the old your oldest boy that well but I just found out that Kenton I'm gonna say the Kenton clan have always been a very open hearted type of group to all yeah I hope it I hope it's the way we'll be remembered Lyman well, brother, I'm glad you came here today. I really am. I, you're welcome to come anytime. You know that. Well, I mean, I'm so honored because uh, I sure got more than what I anticipated or expected. Uh, particularly, you, uh, you really made me feel at home today. And uh, good to be here with you and your lovely wife, Tony, in your home. And, you know, have welcomed me and, and uh, take the time out because, you know, we called you and you said, you know, Doors open. See, I, 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 I'm, I've been a Southern Baptist all my life. Uh, and I accepted Christ several times in the Baptist church. But I've become a Christian about 49 years ago. And now I know the difference. It's the difference between saying I'm one and knowing you're one and being it. I want to be on the being side. All this be, believing stuff. Well, you say you, how you compare with Jesus? I ask myself that. People disliked him most of the time because he had friends that were different. In fact, that was where most of the trouble came from. So, 
if you're gonna if if you're gonna live out the Jesus life, it might be possible that your friends are gonna be different. <laughs> well, that's right. But but the way people see us getting along is gonna have more effect on them than what we say to them. That's why I keep telling me about this idea about witnessing. I, I, I'm not a good witness in terms of what I say, but what I feel and what I try to live out is more important to me. But I, I won't. I won't live it out, Lyman. I don't want. I don't want it to be some foreign language or something. I want it to be a part of me. As much as being the ex-jock, I want to be a lover of people. How old are you now, Mr. Gitch? Eighty-four. Eighty-four. Now you can say, "I once was young." <laughs> but, 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 but now. <laughs> well, you know, the, the 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 scripture. I think it's Psalm eighty-four, eighty-seven, something. The years of our life are three score and ten, or if by reason of strength, four score. Well, I've gotten to the four score, but I had I hadn't found the strength yet. <laughs> Well, I think I'm still looking for the strength to come. When is your birthday? June seventh. June. He's had his birthday. Yeah, right around. So I mean, I'm I'm 80, 85, and, and so I just. Now you got before we close this podcast. Now you got to tell me how you met your beautiful and lovely wife, Tony. What, what's her maiden name? Her maiden name is Tony Whittington. Whittington. Now, well, where's she from? She's from Natchitoches. Yeah, her her daddy, her daddy played ball at at uh, Northwestern. She had a brother, two brothers at. Well, what was her dad's name? Whittington. Well, his first name. D H. Uh, his first name was Dolores. Dolores Heil Whittington. Yeah, that's exactly right. What's and her uh, but name? mother was Hattie. Hattie. Yeah, she was a school teacher and a principal, and a guidance counselor. And uh, they've always been been good to me, uh, but Tony, Tony, she when she went to LSU, she she was um, a beautiful girl. She still yeah. still is. And uh, but she was when she was a freshman, she was voted the darling of LSU, which is the most beautiful beautiful girl on the campus. And uh, so, so y'all did it together? No, no. I was see, I was a freshman, and I only heard of her then. And and by the end of that year, um, I still knew about her, but I, I didn't really know her. So um, somehow or another, um, I, I, I got up enough nerve because one of her friends introduced me to her, and then we went out to to dinner and went to eat in New Orleans with this other couple. And, uh, oh, yo, big time. You drove, you went to New Orleans. I, oh, yeah, look, man, I, I was, uh, I was driving on the right side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> so that was no cheap date then, huh? But the thing, the thing about it is, though, Lyman, that, uh, the first time we went out, though, we went out on a, just on a blind date, to, just the two of us. And uh, I, it was the first game we played Baylor out here, and of course, I don't have, these teeth are all, that's a bridge. And so, and I went out and I I had had 
I got hit in the mouth in the Baylor game, and I, my lip was, uh, was swollen like that. It busted this time, and, it, and so I looked like a, I looked like some some statue that had been burned and bombed or something. And so I had to go out with her, and so the, the whole night I sat there like this, cover, cover your cover, trying to cover my mouth. Because you got your teeth knocked out. Uh, well, my teeth, my teeth had already been knocked out, but so I, I just didn't have my my uh, plate in there. Oh, okay. And so uh, when I when I I took her to took her to eat. We went to Howard Johnson's cafe out there on the airline highway, and the whole night I, I talked to her. I talked to her like that. You talked to the Miss Yeah, huh? well, I just that's yes, right. And I, I'm I'm standing there talking to her, and she's trying to figure out why is he covering up his mouth. And when I took my hand down, she found out. <laughs> but anyway, it turned it turned out that we 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 kind of hit it off later on. <laughs> so you stayed after it? Stayed, stayed after it and, uh, and ultimately we got married a couple of years later. And we had three fine boys and it's, it's a wonderful thing. You couldn't have no girls? No girls. We got four, four or five great granddaughters. Brian had all boys too. Brian had all boys and uh, he his his first grandson, of course, is a boy, and he I don't think he has any granddaughters. He, he may have had one that I missed. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, 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 man. Right, he just joking. <laughs> well, they're all beautiful. That's all one thing yeah. about it. You got a beautiful. The Kitchen family is a beautiful family. Y'all are beautiful, beautiful people. Well, you know, the thing that's nice about it, Lyman, is we, we have some commonality. Um, um, my mother was a basketball player. My daddy was a football player. Me and my brother were both football players. My wife and his were both cheerleaders <laughs> in high school and at LSU. And uh, so, I mean, we, we're all wrapped around sports and football and all that stuff, and it's, it's really good. Did and you that, enjoy sports? She, she, she was a cheerleader at, at LSU. But do you, do, you enjoy, do you still enjoy sports? Nah. Yeah, Not as much as I used to because uh, there's so much of the trappings that the media have put on, on sports uh, uh, watching, sports television. I just don't, I don't like all the hype about it. And uh, it's like, um, I mean, obviously you play games and somebody's going to win most of the time. But uh, if, that, if that's all there is to it, there's not much to it. If, if they thought of it as, look, we're going to go out there and we're going to do our best. And in doing our best... We're going to make the other team do their best if they want to beat us. <laughs> but I don't, want, I don't want our team to just want to proclaim themselves the best just because they win a couple of games. I want to know what those guys are like in, in their character. I want to believe that the coach is concerned about their character. And I'm not going to say that winning doesn't matter. It does matter. 
But I don't want to say we got a, a team that won all 10 games and we got a bunch of hoodlums on the street. And that's not, what, not the way it is. But occasionally, the, there are, are some bad eggs that rise to the, to the top. And nothing a coach can do about that. He does his best to instill character in them, work ethic, team teamwork, and all that stuff. But it doesn't always work out because you got a few bad eggs. We we had a guy on our team in '58. He was the meanest, baddest ass guy in the South, and uh, he'd been in in and out of the jail and trouble with the law and everything else when he came down here. And it wasn't long, he got arrested for beating up on somebody out on Highland Road or, or something. And, uh, and what happened is that his reputation preceded him and he lived up to it. He eventually lost his scholarship the last time I heard of him, he's in jail. And uh, I, I don't want that to be the tradition of our school. And I don't, I don't want to put, put athletes on the field just because they're great athletes, can outrun the herd or whatever. I mean, it's nice to have those, don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm on the side of, of, of character. What do those guys become while they're there? What are they doing? besides trying to be great football players. I mean, that's, that's, that's something in itself, because some of them can go on and build a career out of it, but not to, not to be the big guy on the, on, the, on the block just because everybody knows who they are and they're going to worship them, so to speak, no matter what they act like. I want to be good character people out there. That's one of the reasons I, I, I was glad they got this, this particular guy down there, not because he's a, a great all-American guy himself, but but he Kelly. yeah Kelly, but he but he at least came from a place where character was an important thing for their team for their their sports program, and if if not because because of the coaches and the way they treated them, but because of the university and the atmosphere that they were put into, and were given by the administration to stress the spiritual part of their existence there. And I was at least by, uh, excited about the prospect of character showing up with the coach. Now, he may not turn out that way, but that's what I hope for. That's what I hope for. Character and competitive ability. They paid him pretty good money. Yeah, they are. But they paid, they paid, uh, what's his name? Joe, 18 million to leave. 18 million to leave. That's something. Coach, yeah. Coach, right? Coach, we ain't mad at you, Coach. Boy, I, I, uh, I'd hate to be seen as, <laughs> as that poor of a coach who got paid that kind of money. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you can't, I, I, I guess we can't be uh, idealistic about the character of all the guys who go there. But I sure was happy when they brought a guy in who just might have a clue about what character means. This guy, Kelly. I, I hope. 
seem to be doing a pretty good job. We went out there watching practice, and you know, he's, he seemed to be keeping them on course and on task. I hope so. I hope so. I, I didn't get to go that day. I, what you think about the, the athletes are now able to receive compensation? I, if I if I had a bomb, I would blow the whole idea to smithereens. Why is that? Because I think that that the college athletics ought to be for amateurs. There ought to be such a place in the world where people can do something for the joy of playing. The excellence, building the excellence. But that, okay, that, but that's going to say, okay, that means the coaches should be able to do the same thing. Right. You're going to pay the coaches. I, 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 think, I, I think that they spend too much time on coaches, just in general. Now, I, I don't know how to fix it, you understand, uh, brother? I don't understand how to fix it, but I just tell you what I want. I want quality in the coaches and the players. The, and the only reason I got excited about Kelly was because he was from Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is not a place where they are absent of a desire for character. They love, they want character among those athletes up there. And I'm not saying that they do, or that they get it, but I was happy about the possibility of have a guy who's as concerned about the character of the man as he is in the f speed of his feet. Now, I, 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 I just, and I'm saying that in a, in a general aspect, because I, the world is not a perfect place, and it's not full of perfect people. You can wish for it. I mean, when when, uh, when 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 Coach Diesel was here, and he wasn't he wasn't a perfect coach. He used to we used to go eat. I mean, go go to a movie every Friday night. And when we got through, we took the coaches took coaches walk. <laughs> he walked us in front of the PMAC or north end of the stadium or someplace like that. And then he would tell us a little story, a funny story or, or otherwise. Or, but it was a, certainly a story with a, some sort of a moral, some, some, something to think about, to focus on. And he did it every Friday night. And I've always wished that to be obvious in the staffs of coaches that come here. I don't, you can't possibly know what's behind the, behind the scenes where all those people with you looking from the outside. Like the old folks, you gotta explain that to people. What is the Gus Kitchen Trail? The Gus Kitchen Trail is a, a little strip down my old neighborhood. I used to live in Westdale. And uh, down the, about two or three hundred yards down the street, there was this walking path that went all the way from my street to College Drive and down this way to Country Club. And uh, when I, in 1968, uh, I ran for a spot on the city council and I got elected. I didn't run for re-election. Anyway, they... they so, so, you, you, so, so from 1960... 1968 to... No, 1968 to 71. 
You served on that on the, on the city city parish council. Yeah, council. Okay. I, I was I was elected from the city, but uh, I, I served with uh, with Joe Delpit. Uh, do you know Joe, by the way? Yeah, I know yeah. Joe. yeah. yeah. His first year. He, he was the first his year first when he got got elected, and and uh, we <laughs> we when we after we were all elected. Um, we decided that uh, the seven city councilmen, included Joe, and and the other the other six white guys who were from the city, uh, we we thought it would be a good idea if we all got together before we had our first meeting, and just try try to get to know each other a little bit, and discuss our attitudes or what kind of picture we wanted to work on for the the city and that sort of thing and because uh, none of us none of us had were uh, from integrated backgrounds so to speak just in general and we, knew, we just it was a new thing for us and so we decided we we're gonna get together one day one Sunday afternoon and just talk just to get to know each other and so <laughs> We showed up at Owen Goche's office on North Boulevard, and he he was a a white insurance guy, and uh, Harvey Cannon, Vinnie Cannon's brother, and uh, me and several other guys, Ken Ken Osterberger. So we all got in there, and and we just started talking about some of the things that we knew might be coming up, and uh, it turned out that somebody had made it a point. To find out who was in those cars that were in front of Owen Goche's office, one of them was a news uh, Al Crouch. He was a news guy from Channel Two. He was out there with one of his little uh, assistants. Somehow they they saw this group of cars and they decided to find out who it was, and they found it was a bunch. It was a bunch of the city councilmen. And they thought they were, that we were in there on a secret meeting. <laughs> so all we were doing, we're doing just what you and I are doing, getting to know each other a little bit, you know, and um, discuss some, some general things. And so they came there and they eventually <laughs> broke in there and tried to, tried to take some moving pictures of us to put on the television or something like that. And uh, so that was, that was our introduction as as the, the, the councilman for the city parish, right there, all 10 of us were in one place, and uh, Al Crouch, uh, the guy who used to be there in, in the news at WBRZ, uh, he was there being a hero, catching us in a mix, in a, 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 a secret meeting. Secret meeting. <laughs> yeah, that was a big deal in those days. And uh, so he came in and, and he took some pictures, or at least he came some pictures as we took as we went out, and uh, so. so what, what, what it was like working with Joe Delpit? Like a brother. Joe Joe was uh, um, I, I, he he ran for senator after he after he served on the council, I think, he but he he was just he was just he he was like an impish young brother. He, he he knew it was his first. He, he was the first black councilman uh, 
to serve. And he, 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 he was not nervous about that necessarily, but he wanted to make sure that he did everything right. He didn't make any mistakes that would shed light on anybody, especially his, his, own, his own people, you know, where he envisioned he came from. And so uh, we all got together that afternoon, and first thing you know, here's this Al Crouch, the head news guy from, from um, WRZ, and, and Sally, I forget her last name now, but she was a journalist for the uh, newspaper. And uh, they were out there with cameras and everything and wanted to come in and take a picture of all of us and find out what we were in there discussing like we were doing city business in private, private meeting, you know, doing things in secret. And uh, so we got some, got some uh, uh, flash on the paper the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was your introduction to politics. <laughs> That's right. And of course, we all knew that we weren't doing anything wrong. We, weren't go we couldn't vote on anything. That, we couldn't do anything official. And uh, we were just, just talking about where we came from, what we were trying to do, what we hoped for, and things we thought we might work on. But we couldn't do, we couldn't do anything uh, official. And that you, so you work, with, you work with the great man, Woody Dumas. Yeah. What, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll I, I tell you what, let me talk this out of my old man. My old man had been, um, had not come to Christ yet. My old man had worked in the secular world uh, for probably seven or eight years by that time and um when i when i ran for council all i all i wanted to do was just run and be a part of something bigger than i was and yet serve the city i did i didn't know any specifics too much uh, but at the time there was this one guy well they, they had a, a big street and road program that woody had uh, his administration before us had had put together it was 68 million dollar street and road and drainage program for the parish you may remember that i don't know but at any rate um, one of the guys who ran for the council at the time was roland stevens now roland stevens owned his own concrete company okay and uh woody dumas was a was a political crony of Ted Dunham, who had the Dunham Concrete Company. And so everybody thought that Roland Stevens was going in there to take on the Dunham clan and, and get all the, all the work on the new $68 million road and drainage program that Woody had envisioned and had announced by that time. And so when we went there that afternoon, they thought this was a big parlay to get all the all the sides together to decide what we're going to do with the money. I guess we divide the money. That's right. That's right. And everybody there, everybody there, including Roland Stevens, who had a competitive concrete company, wanted to go in there on a straight-up basis and just do business like you would do among honest people. That's all we wanted to do. 
we weren't we weren't going in to throw anybody out or straighten them out or anything like that. We're just going to do business that we would the way we would do it, however that was, and so that's what we tried to do. But the but the the Al Crouch and um, uh, the, the girl that was his anyway they 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 they, they were going to make a big uh, deal out of that meeting. <laughs> but, but, but Woody, Woody was a true politician. Woody, Woody was a politician, but I have to say this, that looking at what he did while he was in office and while we were, and we were part of the, some of this, uh, like we put new buses on the street. We bought new buses. That was our group that did that. And uh, Woody Dumas fixed every pothole he could find in the, in the parish uh, with concrete, <laughs> you know, but the thing that we all saw was improvement for, for the for the city parish and but but if anything went wrong uh, um, with our with the character the way he did things we, we were there to be a check and a balance against that but he wasn't after that at all he just he wanted to do a good job and put some good streets and roads out and sidewalks for people to to enjoy and and so we did all our stuff with a with a clear conscience, and he and Woody wasn't he wasn't a pretty guy, and he and he wasn't the smartest guy on the tri on the, the road, but but he he was he was a hardworking and sincere public servant, and uh, so when we got out of there, we closed the downtown airport, we put the Breck the Breck Center office over there, we put the uh, the main library. Took it from downtown and put it out there where the old uh, recreation ground used to be. Goodwood? Yeah, at Goodwood, that, that that used to be the airport, uh, and uh, so and we, we closed the airport, of course, and and all the people in the neighborhood loved that because they didn't have those planes flying over them all the time, and uh, so anyway, that was kind of the our our beginning, and. Um, I thought you would have run for mayor, having an LSU background, athlete. I thought about it, but you know what happened to me? Um, <clears throat> they would, people would call on us from time to time. Uh, I guess this lady called me, for instance, and she said, "Mr. Kitchen," she said, I, "I got a drainage problem in front of my house." She said, uh, "The the." The, the ditch the ditch is all clogged up and and it won't drain under the under the walk over the uh, the ditch and said can you come help me can you come help me <laughs> so I went out there just to check on it because I, I I had on my coat and tie and everything and and I went there I found out what she was what she was doing and believe me believe me that a photographer from the city parish, from the morning advocate, came out there to film what was going on, because they, I don't know how they heard about that I had gotten a call, but they were out there to film the deal to make sure that I wasn't out there on the take <laughs> to get make take some political advantage out of that situation. Well, I did okay my whole time I was there, and I never strayed off and took money or anything like that but one of the last things that came up 
was a drainage problem some other place. And I had, I had the thought, I better go take care of that so people will think well of me. And this is the God's truth. I went home and I told Tony, I said, Tony, I'm not running anymore. I said, I'm not in this thing for people to remember me as someone they could count on for political favors. I do my job, but I'm not going to do I'm not going to do my job so that I can run for another office because I was thinking about, well, maybe I would run for, take Woody's place. And so uh, after I told her that, I just, I, I put all my thoughts of running for office aside. I never, I never ran again because I didn't want to get into something where I was doing something where people would remember me in a positive way and let me take on the next step. Because in those days, there were some people that were rumored to do their job for favors from the people. And I wasn't going to be one of those. So I, I got out and I never ran again. So you, wanted to just be, you, want, you went there to serve. I went there to serve. And I mean, one day, one day, brother, I was, I was out there and, and uh, um, I decided I was going to, I was going to run a, run a garbage uh, route with some of the guys. <laughs> so I went out first thing at 5.30 in the morning and uh, I got my boots on and everything and the waders and whatever you had to have. And uh, I, I, I ran behind that, that garbage truck for two or three hours in the morning <laughs> and finally, finally we got the truck loaded up and they took off to the dump and I went home. <laughs> <laughs> I never went back to do that again. <laughs> that was your first and last experience. That, that was right. I, that's all the experience I wanted. <laughs> oh. now, but you were known to council when when the black Muslims showed up on North Street. Then. Oh, oh yeah, I was there. That was early in the. That was early in the deal. What? I was, we weren't on the council at the time. That's 1972. Yeah, but we what? Well, 72. 72 was, that's the year after we got off. Right. We went through 71. But the thing about it is that, that uh, uh, we heard they were coming. And so we showed up out there just to see what was going on. And uh, come to find out, it, it, was a, uh, it was a big political statement that they were making. But they were as serious as they could be about wanting to make a difference. Now, we knew that. Now, I, didn't, I didn't want to be a part of the black Muslims at all. But on the other hand, I knew there were some things that, that affected the black community that needed to be addressed. And that's one, one of the reasons that I had run for the council in the first place. But after I got on there, I got to thinking about the step ahead. And I started thinking about making a career of the thing. And I said, that's not what I got in here for. I want to find out what this is like and what I might be able to do to help in the future. And so I left and I went back to work for IBM, which is where my... That's where I was hired in the first place. And I spent nine years over there. <laughs> so, Mr. Kenton, thank you and welcome. And thank you for being part of Caltan today. Well, I love you, man. As, in spite of evidence of the contrary, I really do love you. <laughs> I truly, truly enjoyed this. I enjoyed uh, being able to sit here and, and get to know more about you. Or, 
for you to open your heart and, uh, to, to share so much about who you are and what you stand for and your, your Man can shackle the hand, the man can shackle the feet, but only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time.